This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, everyone. You're listening to By the Book with Sharmila Ganesan. And as always, my fellow lover of uh, Malaysian tales, Lee Chui Lin. Hello. Today, we are doing uh, one of our monthly author interviews, and we're very excited to have with us Shivani Sivagurunathan, who is um, a writer, a poet, and uh, her latest endeavor is a novel called Yalpanam. Shivani, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. So just to kick things off a little bit, um, Yalpanam is not an easy book to describe, but I'm going to try. Um, it essentially centers around um, the story of a woman, uh, her name is Pushpa Nayagi, who lives in a fictional island called Coal Island, and her encounters with various people along the way, the bulk of it um, revolving around a younger woman called Maxim. And I think that's a great place to start. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, so the inspiration from for the novel came from the setting and from the characters. Um, you know, I have a very visual uh, imagination and I tend to get stories through pictures first. So the very first um, Im- image that appeared was of an old lady in a white sari squatting in a garden doing gardening. and And behind her was an old colonial style house, which was you know, equally <laughs> delicious and compelling. So I began to follow these images and I found other images that began to build a, a picture of a story. Um, and very close behind the images were the voices of the characters, Pushpanayagi and very soon Maxim also appeared. And out of that connection to the characters, the storyline, emerged. But it took me a long time to write this novel. I actually wrote the first draft not long after I had completed my first book, which was Wildlife on Coal Island, which was published in 2011. And that's a collection of short stories. Um, So there are actually 10 years between the two books. And Yalpanam actually went through so many drafts and and years of toil. <laughs> and write, writing the novel um, required a lot of patience and a whole lot of maturation on my part. Um, so, you know, I wrote the early drafts and the first half of the novel would flow smoothly, but when I reached the middle of the novel, it would sort of just fall apart. <laughs> there was so much uncertainty of, of where I was going to take the novel um, from there. And what one reason I think was because I was trying to bring everything together. Um, as you pointed out at the start, you know, there it's it's a complex um, story and there are many elements in it. And it took me a long time to bring everything together. And I think one reason is that I was having a hard time coming to terms with an enigma like the old lady Pushpanayagi. You know, I didn't I didn't have a template for her. I had no point of reference. You know, she was 185 years old. You know, she was pure mystery. But I also didn't want her to be an over-the-top and you know, fantastical character. Her, her humanness um, needed to come through. And you know, I had to get over my awe of her in order to start tapping into what made her human, you know, which is her shame, her apathy, her regret, her grief. 
But Maxim's character was much easier for me to connect with because, you know, I knew many young people like her. And at some point, very long time ago, I was 18 years old as well. So I could understand her struggles somewhat. So her sections came out more easily. Um, but yeah, for, I had to work really hard for Pushpanayi's um, voice to come through. Um, and by hard, I mean, I had to sort of grow up as a person, as a writer, my imagination and empathy levels really had to expand. You know, they had to become really vast in order to tell uh, Pushpanayi's story. So um, this is something that, that we both thought, and you can correct us if we're wrong, but the novel seems to draw also quite a bit from the magic realism genre. You mentioned uh, very casually that you're talking about a 185-year-old woman. So talk to us about Perhaps, you know, firstly, did we did we get that right? But also, um, how did you go about localizing these conventions? Yeah, it's so interesting because when I wrote my first book, um, Wildlife on Coal Island, I sort of took it for granted that this was the world uh, of reality that I was presenting through fiction. It wasn't until someone interviewed me and pointed out that this was a magical realist text. I mean, this is his interpretation of it. But it was a magical realist text that I really started to think about it to really view my work um, in that way. But I don't actually do that, by the way, because I don't necessarily see myself as a magical realist writer and nor do I consciously, um, you know, work into my work those magical elements. Um, and I think that many of the so-called magical elements are only magical because they are in supposed conflict you know, with a literal interpretation of, of reality or an overly uh, materialist interpretation of reality. Um, you know, there are all kinds of reality, you know, from the poetic to the metaphorical, to the emotional, to the psychological, to the spiritual. And I'm interested in as many dimensions of reality as I can get my hands on, you know, as a writer. So I look for nuances, the things that exist in the dark, <laughs> the experiences and, and insights that we may not necessarily have words for. You know, so for example, having a character who is nearly 200 years old is certainly strange from the point of view of our day-to-day -day experiences. But from a psychological perspective, let's say, you know, a person could in fact be 200 years old in the sense of carrying 200 years of familial and collective trauma and memories. So I, I like to uh, push the boundaries of what is either assumed or taken for granted, especially when it comes to ways of viewing and experiencing the world and, and oneself. So you've mentioned already um, your challenges with sort of creating this character of Pushpanayagi, but um, one thing that was pretty strong in the in the novel was the fact that she draws from a uh, she is drawn from a long history of complicated women you directly mentioned characters like Sybil or Penelope for instance mm. um, where does that element come from yeah I would say that Pushpanayagi is a very amorphous character you know she's a gray character she isn't she doesn't lend herself easily to uh, strict definitions in that she shapeshifts, you know, especially when she was younger. As you mentioned, she had a series of names that were given to her, Sybil, Penelope, uh, Deborah. You know, she was given English names and arguably also an English character, you know. And I think that having a fluid identity helped her to a certain extent then because she adopts these names 
in one sense, because they are tools of power. You know, she comes from Ceylon, she's left her homeland, she's not native to Malaya, and she's trying to locate her power, you know, her position in this new land. And, you know, she finds something to hold on to um, within colonial society. You know, she speaks English, she's intelligent, she's not exactly loyal yet to the new land she's found herself in. And all of these, you know, to some extent, um, help her to gain uh, some stature, you know, in, in colonial society. So I think that, you know, embracing her English names and these various identities was also a means of surviving and gaining social mobility. And definitely she's a paradoxical character, you know, because on the one hand, she carries herself through a kind of um, filter of specialness, you like, and she tries to fit into, you know, the cream of society. On the other hand, she's full of shame. In playing her shape-shifting game, she's lost herself. She's lost a sense of who she is. And so a big part of her process of reconciliation in the 21st century, uh, where the, when the novel opens, has to do with coming to terms with her apathy and um, her self-betrayal. Um, and I definitely, there are many complex issues when it comes to identity, because also there's her diasporic identity, you know, and the novel Yalpanam is more allegorical than it is uh, literal. You know, it's her memorialization of uh, the homeland she's left in Ceylon. So, you know, naming her home in Malaysia Yalpanam is one way of, you know, maintaining a connection to that old identity and to her homeland. Um, you know, just because she's been in Malaysia for many years doesn't mean that Yalpanam um, still isn't in her. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's it's very much a part of the diasporic imagination, the renaming of home as a way to keep um, a part of her identity intact. I, I could also talk about identity in terms of Maxim's character, because I think, you know, they, they are, you know, these are two lost um, people. You know, I think that's what pulls them together. They're lost in, in their own um, ways, you know, because Maxim is also struggling with um, her identity, you know, because um, she has been um, pampered, you know, pampered in, in a wealthy, sort of nondescript um, household. You know, she's like traveled the world, but she's not quite, you know, landed in her home country, you know, despite the fact that she was born in Malaysia and she lives there. So her family is constantly, you know, looking elsewhere for seemingly, you know, worthier things. So she feels terribly, you know, displaced and, you know, her journey entails um, coming to terms with where and who she is right here, right now, in association with her family's history, you know, the, the national and national history. So, you know, she doesn't know who she is, um, essentially because she's so disconnected from the land and from her family, from her culture, from her country and, and so on. So I'd say that both of them, you know, both Pushpanayagi and Maxim are searching to uh, locate themselves as, as individuals that belong to a context. Because when the novel opens, they both exist in bubbles, you know, in abstractions that sort of need to be brought down <laughs> to earth. We're speaking with author and poet Shivani Sivagurunathan, who wrote Yalpanam, and that's what we're talking about, which her latest novel. Let us know, have you read it? Uh, do you enjoy this sort of magic realism that's set in Malaysia? You can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio, write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Be free-minded. BFM 89.9.
89.9. Welcome back. You're listening to Buy the Book with Sharmila and Lynn. And today we're speaking to Malaysian writer Shivani Sivagurunathan about her novel Yalpanam. Um, and earlier we uh, spoke a lot about uh, particularly the characters and where the story came from. I wanted to pick up on uh, one particular aspect on this side of things. For lack of a better word, I wanted to call, I, I think we can call it a sort of claiming of things and uh, the naming of things from the land to the people. People, um, because that's what colonialism is framed as in this novel, right? Um, we have white men, in a large sense, white women in some cases, right down to how Pushpanagi gets her, her Western names. What were the ideas that you wanted to explore? You know, fundamentally, the, the novel is about returning to the past, um, as I've already mentioned before. Returning to the past honestly and sincerely you know, not, not with all these narratives that can cover up the lens of perception. Say, oh, things were beautiful back then. You know, back then everything was wonderful, this kind of um, fuzzy nostalgia, but really like going to the heart of the matter and seeing like, what, what actually happened, what actually happened in the past, you know, um, and reconciling with it in order to, um, you know, inhabit uh, the present more fully and, and to open up a space for uh, a, a a vitalized uh, space for the future. So basically what, what's happening in this novel is that the past is bogging the characters down. And, you know, Pushpanayagi has literally grown fat on unprocessed and undigested memories. And that have to do with the complexity of, um, the complexities of our identity that we talked about earlier, sort of pandering to the, to the white man, trying to fit into colonial society in order to find a place for herself, to find a sense of belonging, which of course is a false sense of belonging because it's utterly fabricated. And she has been living within this space of deceit for many decades. And so when the novel opens, we find her at this point in her life where she thinks she's going to die, um, but actually she's on the brink of a transformation. She is on the brink of actually uh, going back to these um, periods of her past that she had assumed to be one thing and that she's now having to see clearly, you know, what, what are these things really, what were they actually about? Um, so she's been, so when the novel opened, she's been a recluse for, you know, six decades, trapped by her inability to come to terms with some of these things um, from the past that she's done, like her non-commitment to others, her in, you know, her refusal to really be on the side of the locals, for example, you know, the way she is very dismissive and condescending of Abu, who is the um, Malay servant of um, the, the white employer, Charles, um, and her non-participation in the events around her. You know, she's not willing to really inhabit herself and inhabit the space that she's in. Um, so she's been in denial, you know, of the com complicity in less than wholesome activities. Um, and so, you know, the guilt and shame and regret have in essence ballooned within her and they have immobilized her. And so she can't move, you know, psychologically, emotionally, and even physically. Um, and so, you know, the novel is on one level about dipping back um, into her memories and seeing them for the first time and reconciling with them so that she can actually live here and, and not in the past of her mind. So I would say that in essence, the, the story is very much about aligning interior worlds 
with physical day-to-day -day living. And a big part of the story has to do with learning how to inhabit the present in terms of geography, culture, you know, familial inheritances, basically coming to terms with where a person is by looking at where a person has come from and where you know a person might be going. I, I'm just I'm just reminded of this quote that I love by Edward Said from his book Culture and Imperialism. And it was a quote that I used to kick off my PhD thesis. You know, it was a quote that preceded the body of my thesis. I can't remember it exactly. I'm going to paraphrase it because I think it, it really encapsulates the, the foundational philosophy of the novel. It goes something like this. Even as we um, must understand the pastness of the past, there is no way in which the past can be removed or distanced from the present you know, so the, the present is very much shaped and influenced and painted by what has happened. And especially so when what has happened hasn't been uh, understood and accepted. And I think the operative word here is uh, accepted. <laughs> it reminds me of Rabindranath Tagore's quote. You know, he talks about, you know, we've come to this world to not just to know it, but to accept it. And I think that's very much the case in this novel. Let's talk a little bit about the physical spaces then that the characters occupy. Um, I, I wanted to pick up on something that we started with, actually, which is the fact that uh, Yalpanam takes place on Coal Island, uh, which is a fictional setting, although it is in Malaysia. And I wanted to know what the appeal is for you as a storyteller of having this sort of space to play with. I love it. I absolutely love it. Interestingly, I didn't intend to create a fictional space for me to um, set my stories in. When I first started writing fiction around 15 years ago, I suppose around 15 years ago, um, every time I used a literal setting like Kuala Lumpur or Subang Jaya or even Port Dixon, which is where I'm from, the stories came out very stilted. I think it has something to do with the way in which my imagination works. You know, I found that I froze up and I was creating characters that were not really believable. And I think I was really trying very hard to write the great Malaysian novel, the great Malaysian story. I was deeply self-conscious. And the moment I relaxed inside and just thought, okay, I'm just gonna write characters who are interesting to me. In that relaxation, this space called Coal Island emerged. And it emerged when I was writing my first book, a collection of short stories I mentioned earlier. And I found that Coal Island was, not only did it allow me to um, play and explore very Malaysian ideas and Malaysian issues and Malaysian characters, but it was also very rich. So I find, find that every time I start writing a new story or um, currently I'm working on a no novella, a couple of novellas, I naturally move back to Coal Island. It doesn't feel like I'm just repeating myself. It actually feels like I'm descending deeper into a setting that has a lot more to offer. Um, so for me, it is very interesting. There is such a strong theme of nature and even very literally of the soil throughout the book. Um, mm. What was the intention behind this? I don't think it was a, there was a very conscious intention there. I think it's the, the, the way in which my mind is wired and my temperament is wired. So I'm very alert to my natural surroundings. As I said, I grew up in Port Dixon, um, basically in somewhat of a jungle. Now, now Port Dixon is very developed, but in the 80s, uh, it wasn't as developed as it is now. And I was so close to the natural world. You know, 
we had bats coming into the house and, you know, pythons and squirrels. And so I was so very much connected to the natural world. So, um, and that's something that just sort of naturally enters into my stories. The, the characters themselves are sort of rooted in place because place is so important in, in my work setting place these are my stories emerge from place they emerge from the setting and the natural world is inevitably a part of that setting so uh, this is obviously a novel that we're talking about so, but so much of the language and imagery are heavily poetic i think even from the the opening sentence and description of the house um, and you of course write poetry how do these two hats inform the way you approached writing a novel as opposed to writing shorter fiction as well as poetry i had to first of all get over my love affair with language because when you start off as a poet uh, you are you 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 love language you know you love the way words can come together and create certain effects you know i love the malleability of of language and in my early fiction it was all about creating beautiful language and that got in the way of the story you know of getting the the story out so first of all, I had to get over that love affair with poetry and really connect with the characters and the setting and the story and then return to that initial connection that I've always had anyway, that's never been lost, return to that connection and then shape the story using the language that the characters are using. It's not a language that I want to use. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I have a very visual imagination. So the pictures um, appear vividly in my mind's eye. And then I try to capture the pictures in the most accurate language, you know, to mirror what I'm seeing. Um, and also what I had to learn was that the pictures are coming through a particular viewing lens. You know, Henry James said, landscape is character. And I think that's very true. So in, in Yalpanam, you know, there are three points of view. There's Pushpanayagi's. There's Maxims, and there's also the unnamed narrator. I have a very specific idea of who or what that narrator is, but I think it's best for the reader to discover or to, to imagine who that narrator is for him or her. But in any case, you know, the language and imagery, they come through and out of each particular point of view. And so, you know, I had to basically shift between the points of view and for example, the, the, the language for the narrator and for Pushpanayagi is different uh, than the language for Maxim. So mainly, you know, I looked very intently at what was appearing in my mind's eye. And then my task was to write with as small a gap as possible between what I was seeing and, you know, what appeared on the page. So we are coming to the end of our conversation um, and I'm going to close off with a question that isn't always the favorite of many writers. You mentioned that you're working on novellas. What will we see from you next? Oh, okay. I was supposed to continue working on a novel that I had, uh, that's been ongoing for some years, but I'm putting that on hold for a few months while I complete another work of fiction. Um, you know, it's sometimes hard to predict <laughs> what story is going to demand your attention and insist you write it. So before I can resume uh, work on that novel, I'm working on two complementary novellas that are nearly done. And both are set on Coal Island and have, have as their central theme uh, the dynamics of power in authoritarian contexts, both private and public. And they're going to be placed together in one book. 
I have a bit of a selfish question, whether we'll see more of Pushpa Nayagi anywhere else. I think so. I think so. That the novel that I'm working, that I'm putting on hold at the moment uh, has some elements there that, that may require her presence. <laughs> that sounds very cryptic. But, <laughs> but she's that kind of person. I, I was going to say, it's fitting for the character. <laughs> Absolutely. The enigma. <laughs> Shivani, thanks for speaking with us today. Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Shivani Sivagurunathan. She is the uh, author behind a novel called Yalpanam. Uh, it is set in a fictional island in Malaysia, uh, merges uh, reality, fantasy, to tell this really complex story of heritage and identity. Uh, let us know if uh, you've read it. Uh, do you plan to? You can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. us to footnotes and this is usually where we review the book that we've just been talking to the writer about so today we're reviewing Yalpanam by Shivani Sivagurunathan. Lynn what were your thoughts? So um, I really enjoyed reading this book in terms of the beauty of the language and I'm glad that this is something that we asked Shivani about because I, I think that the language is so distinct and the voice is very very clear. Um, the level of description and how immersed you feel in Coal Island, in the house, in the neighbourhood, is so specific. And and I bring that up because, as she mentioned, a sense of place is hugely important. And here, I think it goes a long way towards informing the narrative because in many ways, the inanimate objects are not inanimate. I, I think we, we can say that, you know, we have, um, we have spirits, we have lights, we have plants with spirit. <laughs> and so you have all these different elements coming into play. And for that, I'm, I'm grateful, therefore, that that it was done by a writer who's, who's skilled and whose facility with the language is so clear. The writing for me was really one of the highlights. Um, and, and when I say writing, what I actually mean is the imagery, right? Because sure, some scenes are not, some scenes are uh, showstoppers in themselves, how we are first introduced to the house that Pushpanayagi lives in, or even how we're introduced to her. This gorgeous description of her being in the middle of her garden and plants and bugs, and it's such a lush description. But even simpler moments, there's one line that actually stuck with me where it's something as simple as Maxim getting up and having pins and needles. And Shivani describes it as Maxim felt a burst. I'm, I'm grossly paraphrasing it here. Uh, something like she feels a burst of stars along her leg. And I just thought it's such, it's these sort of little flares for language and for images that I really loved. And I think that it wasn't a uniformly perfect novel for me, but it's like chewing your way through a really sort of substantial meal. So mm. even if there were aspects of it that you didn't enjoy, the overall impression of just like beauty and, and the enjoyment of it was really high. So uh, I found it really interesting that part of uh, what Shivani mentioned earlier was the importance of imagery and how it really began with image, because I think that that is something that again comes through very strongly and um, is also in some ways more important than plot momentum. So that's the, the thing that I wanted to say, which is that when you're reading it, I think it's about being immersed in this landscape in which there are mysteries, in which you don't really know what's happening, um, in which 
characters take time to even reveal themselves to you. You're not entirely sure what they're doing, where they're coming from, why it is that a young person might decide, you know what, I need to leave my life. I need to leave my life and go do something entirely different and what that means to them. Even what that means is something that is revealed only later on. All of which to say that while it is a relatively brief book, I would recommend taking your time reading it. And uh, that's partly because you don't necessarily, or at least I did not necessarily feel the forward pull of... uh, I mean, I say this, but of course, this is not the type of book it is at all. It's not a murder mystery. You know, it's not a thriller. It's not something where you are thinking who done it or or you have that kind of threat that's going to lead you through the book. Instead, the thing that is going to keep you going as you read it, it is, I think, are all the things that we've been talking about, the beauty of the writing, the um, the the interest that you have in the characters and in understanding them as people, in understanding their motivations, um, and also just to see in some ways how all these different strands are going to be tied together because we're acting as if there are only two strands, two narratives going on, but actually within those narratives are nested other little things. Yes, and many, many other characters. And so the flip side of that is that, um, the flip side of that is that I feel like the book sometimes doesn't get enough into these different threads uh, and enough into these different characters. I felt like almost every character I wanted more of and not in that, not in that, oh, this book was perfect that I want more, but I actually really thought some of them needed more developing. Um, At best, the things that the novel does best is when that lack of um, detail or or the lack of honing in feels magical and feels hazy, like memories. That's great. At its worst, though, then you have maybe a character like Maxim's mother who feels very broad and almost, almost caricaturish at some points. And I would have liked more in that regard. I would have liked more attention. And maybe it just feels like I want something to ground this novel a little bit more. I agree with that. I also think that the other thing is when you have a character like uh, Pushpa Nayagi, who is such an immensely interesting character who is the central enigma that sits at the very heart of it and that you therefore race to spend time with uh, because the the characters kind of, sorry, the chapters kind of alternate uh, between being in the present, being in the past, um, you know, different points of view coming in. Sometimes you have uh, Maxim's perspective informing the the piece. Sometimes you have uh, Pushpa Nayagi. And so I think when you have these sorts of things, some other characters are going to get short shrift. Uh, And a big part of that also has to do with how immersive you find the central characters. Yeah, so in that sense, you're right. There are some characters where I wish they could have been a little more developed. I asked Shivani earlier whether we'll hear more of Pushpanayagi in other works. And and that was actually very deliberately asked because I find her so fascinating. Um, In fact, I think I would 100% read a whole novel dedicated even just to her story because there's so much there that this novel alludes to and kind of tempts you with and then doesn't tell us yet. And, And so I'm actually hoping at some point I get to know her better or more of her or I don't know, a collection of short stories of her life, like any of those things I think I would read. But do you want to know too much? I don't want to know too much. No, I don't want to know too much. So yeah. I know what you mean. It's a mm. fine line, but there are all of these like snippets of her life that I'm so curious about. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, but I think it's one of those 
I love I love the idea of her having cameos. <laughs> I think um, you know, uh, like Coal Island cameos. That's something I would wear that T-shirt, and also I would enjoy reading that book. We've been talking about Shivani Sivaguru Nadan's Yarpanam. It is a novel uh, set in a fictional island in Malaysia called uh, Coal Island. Let us know if you've read it. Uh, let us know if you like this genre, sort of. Malaysian magic realism, as it were. You can WhatsApp us, 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.